Now, home is a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure, fun. Who isn't? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. Family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. So on Valentine's weekend, I was wondering a very important question, which is this. Do you have a favorite love story? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, uh, there's this old one called Joe versus the Volcano and Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, you've got mail. Um, I don't know if uh, Disney movies come to mind. Uh, maybe for you it's Snow White or Cinderella, Tangled or Frozen. Um, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday and, and, and some guys are here. And so maybe for guys it's not any of those stories, but it's this football team in 1985 with Mike Ditka. Brings a tear to your eye, undefeated, won the Super Bowl. By the way, um, you know, I'm just curious, who do you think is going to win? Who's going to, the, the Rams, are they going to win today, anyone? The Bengals? The Bengals, you think so? Okay. Which is kind of weird that those are the teams in the Super Bowl. It kind of reminds me of like the Cubs winning a, a World Series, you know, it's just, it, it's not expected. But anyway, um, uh, welcome once again. As, as we talk about love stories, you might have a favorite, but what I've always been struck by is the love stories that really shouldn't exist, the love stories that are tragedies. For an example, do you remember growing up and ever having to watch or read this story? Like, I know a great story to give to teenagers. How about two people who at the end of the story die? <laughs> What's up with that? Or I uh, recently, um, a couple years ago, went to Broadway in Chicago, and there is this highly renowned uh, musical called Once. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And it had some good music in it, but the plot line was a bust. The whole plot was about someone who was married falling into love with someone who was not their spouse. And at the end of the story, you're kind of rooting for them to get together instead of being stayed married. So when they don't break off the marriage, it's kind of like, wah, wah, wah. like that's not a good love story. Or, or what about La La Land? Remember this one? Like, Good music, great actors, right? And, and, and you're hoping that they get together, you know, just like Zach and Kelly should get together on Saved by the Bell. But they don't. Why do you make these stories? Or like, why did we transition from Leave it to Beaver, perfect family sitcoms, to modern family? Or shows like it? Well, I have a theory why, why these shows exist I have a theory why culture has changed, and, and I think it's because whenever we consider Romeo and Juliet or, or find a modern family equivalent, we can be done with that show and then say to ourselves, well, at least I don't have it that bad. Because the, the, the reality and what they're playing to and what they know is that all of us have imperfect families. All of us have a story where we wanted a perfect love, where we were thinking about a perfect love, but where love let us down. And if that's true of your story, welcome to the club. 
See, see even at church, we, we don't have perfect families. Love can let us down. In fact, you might be even carrying in some wounds from the past, some recent wounds, because you're relying on a love that unfortunately was an imperfect one. It's because of this that when Valentine's is celebrated tomorrow, you might be like, ah, I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. I'm kind of sick of focusing on love. But one of the reasons I'm so excited that you're here at church and so excited to, to gather whenever we gather over the last 13 years is because there is a love story with a happy ending. And it's a story God has been telling. The story of a God of the universe who calls you his love, his bride, his beloved, who moved heaven and earth so that we could be right with him. And I don't know your experience with God or your experience with the church, but God sent his son Jesus so that we could be one with a heavenly father and live inside a perfect family with unfailing love both now and forever. And that is the opportunity. And I believe that when we look at what God says about love, when we consider uh, his design, he can really fuel us in the right direction. You know, to look at it about another way, I'm kind of a car guy, and um, there is a, a good engine called a Coyote 5.0. Um, this is an engine that is in, as some of you might know, a Ford Mustang GT, also a Ford F-150. Um, I love that car. Um, anyway, um, and uh, it's made in Ontario, Canada, and, and I believe that if you'd go to Ontario where they're made, there's probably a designer who says, you know what, these are why the valves are, are situated that way. You know what, this is the oil that you should use. You know what, this is how it should work and stay uh, well together. In a similar way, I believe we've come to focus on God who has created love, and you know what that means? It means that he knows exactly how love should work. That it's not Hollywood, and it's not your friends, it's not your social circles, it's not what culture says about love. It's what God says about love that really is his master design. And this is where we're going today. So if you're taking notes, there's an insert for you. Where we're going is this, that I believe even though we experience imperfect love, it can still be so good when it's rooted in God's perfect love. Now as we turn to the word of God, we're going to find a man named John and John was one of the 12 disciples, and not only one of the 12, but one of the three of God's inner circle. In fact, he was so close with Jesus that when he writes about himself, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as he walked with Jesus, as he considered the way of Jesus, he came to this conclusion that as Jesus is, so we should be. Jesus did it in such a superior way that we should all be following his lead when it comes to love. In fact, in 1 John 4, where we're going today, in the middle of the section, this is what he said. This is how love is made complete among us. In this world, we are like Jesus. And basically, as Jesus is, that, that's what we should be. And if we were that, the world would look a lot better. Our lives would be a lot better. Even imperfect families could still experience so much good if they knew this love. So we're going to hear more about that love. And, and something we do in honor of the fact that God is talking to us through the word is we just stand for the reading of the word. So I'm just going to invite you to stand um, as we just consider God's word to us from 1 John. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. These are the powerful words that we get to consider. Could you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, pursue perfect love. Pursue perfect love. All right. Please be seated. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Guys, you still have a day to go get something? Um, Just a friendly reminder on that one. Um, By the way, is it common for girls to get guys something? I think it's more like the reverse, isn't it? And and so in my Facebook feed, I don't know what's popping up, are all these Valentine's suggestions. Um, There's always creative things. Like I saw one where you can put your hands together in a mold. Have you seen this one? It's popping up all the time on my Facebook. And so you can leave with this, this statue of your hands together and carve your anniversary. That's one. There, there's always something to do with stars. So you can get like a star chart from when you got married and what did the constellations look like or, or name a star. Maybe you've seen that. But there's one that always pops up that even though it looks fantastic, I'll never get. I'm sorry, babe. Um, LAUGHTER it's, it's this one. It's called The Million Roses. It's from Los Angeles. And like, just look at these roses in a box. And, and, and I'm not going to not get them, not because we don't like flowers or not because they're not pretty, but I, I'm not going to get them because of how much they cost. <laughs> Do you know how much this box of flowers is? $800. Yes. I go to Jewels, spend $40 about how many different times. get way more flowers than that. I'm not spending $800 on a box of flowers. But it did make me think, if you truly love someone, what would you be willing to give? And it made me think, what what is the price that you would set in order to show your love? Now, I was doing some research and I found some incredible examples. There was a modern-day princess who married a prince and her father was a billionaire. And so when she got married, the dowry, which is an old-school thing to do, was $200 million dollars. Can you imagine a dad giving $200 million to show you, I love you so much, good luck in in this new arrangement. Wow. And maybe as you consider a parent's love, you as parents have thought of all the things you've done for your children. Uh, Whether it be sending them to home pods, whether taking them here today. Um, It reminds me of being a kid, and I had some incredible parents My parents, they'd wake up at 5.30 on Sundays, and my dad was a pastor, so I could do a paper route. That's incredible love. (laughs) Um, I remember my my parents, they gave me my first car, a Daewoo Laganza. Daewoo, real common. I know. Anyway, um, it's a car. Um, They gave me a computer. Um, They did so much for me because that's what love does. Love always wants to give. I bring all these thoughts up because as we consider the most costly love, I don't think anyone has outdone God. And that's what we just read about. So I want to take you back to one of our verses where it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. Now, what did he do? Did he buy a box of flowers? You know, did he give us a car, a computer? No, it was way bigger than that. He gave or sent his one and only son. Now, just think about it. I was was translating from the Greek, and 
one and only is monogenes. It's like there's, there's just one like it. And, and whenever you think of one and only, like if you have a collectible item that is the one and only, like it's, it's really expensive. When you look at your own children, if you have kids, you look at them and you say, man, there's no one like you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, I had a chance to, to talk with our home pods kids this last, last week and, and just tell them that, that they were planned on purpose for a purpose. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, God, God had them in mind. And it's because we know this about our children that we're willing to do anything for them. Uh, parents who, again, will, will spend money, um, and, and if, if push came to shove, you'd rather give yourself than have to give them up, and, and that's just a parent's love, and it, it just comes intuitively. But can you imagine what it would take to give your kid? Can you imagine giving your child away? I can't. And here we start to see why the name of our church is not called Ordinary Love, it's not called a parent's love. It's called amazing love. And it could be called unfathomable love. It could be called extraordinary love. It, it, there, there's nothing like this love that, that God would give his son. That's incredible. But as we consider that, this is one of our first takeaways. We learn that perfect love that comes from God is willing to give what is most precious Willing to give whatever it is close to your heart. That's what perfect love does. And, and so the, the take home as we operate in a family, as we strive to have perfect love inside of a family, is this question. How might you give what's most precious to the one you love? If you really want to experience the goodness of God in your family, how might you go back and say, you know, this is going to cost me, but I'm going to give it because it's going to help you. Now, if you were here last week, Jeff did an amazing job, and he told us what an ordered love looks like. You remember the order? An ordered love from God's point of view is that God comes first, and then your spouse, and then your children, and then everything else. And so as you consider this ordered love, uh, you might go back and, and married people focus on your spouse and, and really wonder, you know, what is it that you want? And if you need some help with that, there's a great quiz online. It's called the Love Language Quiz. Um, you can fill it out and figure out whether or not you're doing well at giving what that person needs. Some of you not, might know the five love languages. Uh, just a, a quick review. Uh, they are time, they are touch, uh, they are gifts, they are acts of service, and they are words of affection. Um, and, and you might go home and this might be your only assignment today and it, it could change your marriage. And, and you might figure out, man, what I've been giving wasn't most precious. <laughs> I've been getting it wrong. I was giving words and they needed acts of service. I was giving gifts and they needed touch. That's one way to help. Maybe it's bigger than that, though. I wonder for how many more married people that the biggest issue sometimes is, is about forgiveness. The most precious thing you can do is swallow your pride and say, you know what? I'm going to apologize. I'm going to forgive. Maybe the most precious thing you can do is just be patient. Be patient with a spouse who's having a tough day or a tough time and not be harsh and not respond as they've responded. Kids, you're not off the hook. I know there's some kids here. Kids, what would it be to give to your sibling what they need? What would it be to give to your parents what, what, they, what you know they're looking for, what, what, what you know would make them happy? Consider and do this. 
Now, what would it take for us to give what is most precious? I have a story about this. A couple years ago, I heard about a, a boy who was poor who invited his dream girl on a date. And this poor boy chose a fancy steakhouse to take the girl to. And as a waiter came by, because they're at a steakhouse, the gal ordered steak. As a waiter came by him, he ordered soup. <laughs> and they had a great time, but they were walking back, and the gal didn't really know much about the boy yet and was scratching her head like, hey, I've noticed you just ordered soup. Why didn't you get steak? He said, I ordered soup so you could get the steak. <laughs> he didn't have enough for two. Isn't that what love is like? Soup for steak? Isn't that what God is describing through the actions of Jesus Christ? Now, we told that the father gave away his son, and it's hard enough to give a son off to college or to give a son off to marriage or a daughter, but what does he give Jesus the son to? He sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent his son to what would be that sacrifice, that the culmination of Christmas was a cross. And I don't know if you know about a cross, but the cross was actually invented by the Greeks and it was perfected by the Romans. It stands as the worst way to die, a torture instrument. And the father gives his son to that. And the son's love looms so large that he was willing to endure the worst so that you and I could have the best. The son's love looms so large that he was willing to die so that you and I could live. And that's what perfect love is all about. See, perfect love dies to self to give life to another. But at this point, you may be saying, like, Pastor, like, yeah, that's what Jesus did, but this is so hard. Like, Pastor, like, man, I love to hear what God did, but, like, I got to tell you, when I get home from work, I have a hard time being emotionally available for my spouse. I have a hard time helping with the dishes or cleaning up the clothes of my, my own clothes. Like, how do I ever get there? And then we live in a society that promotes self-love to such an extreme that the idea of enduring pain for someone else is almost a foreign concept. Like, why would you endure so someone else could live? Why would you uh, endure so that someone else could benefit? Like, it, it's just, it's, it's a foreign concept. And so we come together and we stand before a holy God and we compare our love to his and, and we see how many times we've been loveless and gotten it wrong. Which is why we gather, not just to hear of what we should do. We gather to hear the greatest message. And the greatest message that has sustained the church over 13 years has never been about my love or your love. It has always been about God's perfect love. It has always been about what Jesus Christ has done. Because Jesus' love is best. And Jesus' love came first. And Jesus' love is the only love that saves. In fact, when it comes to Jesus' love, uh, he, he described as the atoning sacrifice. And I just love that word atone. If you break up the word atone, basically it means at one. That, that people who were far away from God, people who had no right to the love of God, are now brought at one simply through Jesus Christ and what he has done. 
And here's the incredible news. Whether or not you've heard it for the first time or the thousandth time, this is yours in Jesus Christ. You get to be at one with the Father simply through Jesus. And it doesn't matter how good you have loved or not. And it doesn't matter how good other people have loved you or not. What matters is the saving love of Jesus who has given you peace. And I suppose we could end there and call it a day. The brunch is almost ready. I suppose I could say amen, but I'm not going to yet. Because I think, yes, we know God's love, and that's always going to be primary. But what if, friends? What if, friends, for the rest of our lives, from this day forward, we made a commitment that we tried to be more like God? What would our families look like? What would communities look like? If we committed today that what God did, who Jesus was, is who I want to be, I think it could change society. See, I don't know if you've noticed, but our society has a hard time loving people, don't they? In fact, we have a new phrase very recently. It's called cancel culture. Basically, if you offend me, if you don't agree with me, you're done. And I've been a pastor for 14 years, and I've observed something very simple in family dynamics, and that is this, that if one person in a family stops apologizing, if one person says, you can't go there, you can't make me forgive, you can't make me do that, if one person ever puts that up, it's very hard. And so how could we operate better together? I wonder, who is it that God is calling us to uncancel today in our hearts? I wonder what what family member that maybe we need to reach out to, that what barrier maybe we need to break down in order to love the way God has loved. Because God, who had every right to cancel us, said this. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And what is hate all about? Like, how do you get to the point of hate? Isn't hate a forgiveness issue? That that basically unforgiveness, and maybe you've heard this, unforgiveness is like sipping poison, hoping the other person will die. Unforgiveness. And, And to forgive someone doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. To forgive someone doesn't mean that what they did was okay, otherwise there'd be nothing to forgive. But it's forgiveness that enables good in the realm of an imperfect love. And that's the next point. Our ability to forgive leads you to experience the good God's talking about even though we have imperfection. And here again, it's like, Pastor, like, well, how do I do that? <laughs> like, this is Navy SEALs Christianity. This isn't the easy stuff. How do I do that? I got a story for you. It's a love story. It's a story of when Jesus had dinner at a Pharisee's house. And in that day, it was common to wash people's feet before they ate. And that's because they didn't travel in SUVs or trains. They just used their feet. And so when they gather around, they wanted to wash their feet in order not to stink up the place as they eat a meal. Well, as Jesus was sitting down in a Pharisee's house, a woman came in and and, and washed Jesus' feet in an incredible way. Maybe you know this story. She, She wet his feet with her tears and then wiped those feet with her hair. And as she was doing this, the Pharisee who hosted the dinner had a very interesting observation. The Pharisee said, man, if this were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And I'm not sure exactly what that sin was, 
But it's like he made the local news, you know, of the arrests, the police report. Like, like this is what's going on. Everyone kind of knows, yeah, not, not great. But then Jesus taught something about debts and when they're forgiven. And Jesus ended that discussion by saying this, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. What he was trying to say is this, that as she realized her forgiveness and all that Jesus came to do, she loved much. When we're real with ourselves and we approach the cross, I don't know what you're carrying, but all I know is I'm carrying a lot to the cross. And every time I go there and I, I meet with God, he reminds me this. I'm forgiven. Of the worst, of any, of all, of the future. And that's the opportunity for everyone who approaches Jesus. You bring whatever you got, whatever skeleton in the closet, whatever big mistake, and he says, you know what? Full and free forgiveness as a gift. It's all washed away. Do you know what this leads to? It leads to a lot of love. The point of the story and what was happening is this, that whoever has been forgiven much loves much. And that was the point John was making. If you love God, if you appreciate what he has done, and this opportunity, so you're going to love and you're going to forgive. And that's how we are inspired to forgive any and all who have hurt us. But the final opportunity. The final opportunity reminds me of the look-alike game. Have you ever sat in a restaurant and looked at people and like, well, that person looks like this person, right? Uh, it's funny, I, I've been watching these videos that say, you know, who I had a crush on when I was young and who I married and, and how they, you know, this one looked like Ryan Gosling and this one also does, but it is not Ryan Gosling. And I don't know how the husband should feel about that. But anyway, like the lookalike happens, right? And, and this happens all the time in families, right? Like uh, some of you have met my brother, Pastor Ben. Um, and, and it's always funny whenever you meet with him and you're like, oh, you guys talk the same, the same mannerisms, right? You know, go from there. Uh, it's a lookalike game, right? Well, track with me here. Go with me. I, I have a point. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> um, one of the culminations of the faith is not to meet Pastor Ben or Pastor Dustin, but to meet Jesus. In fact, uh, one of the greatest pictures of meeting Jesus in heaven, falling into his arms and having such peace because you finally know perfect love. Having such peace because perfect love removes all fear. Nothing to be afraid of. And I can't wait for that day. One day in heaven is better than a thousand days here on earth, a thousand best days. Can't wait for that day. And I'm always looking for a loophole. I don't know if you're ever looking for a loophole. I'm always looking for, like, how do I experience this earlier and sooner? And I'm not talking about dying. I'm not talking about him returning. Um, but I found a loophole uh, a couple years ago, so I'm going to give it to you. It reminds me of playing Mario Brothers, and whenever you had the warp tunnel, like, right? So I got one, and, and that is this. If you're pure in heart, you'll see God. So if you pursue purity, if you pursue love like God, you start to see like God and even him. But then I was reading about another loophole that we just got today. John gave us one. He said this, no one has ever seen God. I've never seen God. I don't know about you. Never seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. 
What is that saying? If we get this right and we go forward to our families and to the community, when they look at us, they can start to see God. If we sacrifice, if we die so they can live, if we forgive and break those barriers, it's then that they see God in us. And our imperfect love can give glimpses of that greater love. And it's been 13 years as a church. And we started in a cafetorium and people sacrificed their weekends to set up chairs. And it's continued by people planning generously so that we could have a church building and, and gather regularly and help the community. And it's happened again as people are making brunch and coming together and singing songs. And, and one of the things that I, I say after 13 years I've seen God in you. I've seen God in you. I've seen God in you. And I don't know what you want for the next 13 years and beyond. But I want to be known in the community that they might not agree with everything we teach. And they might not like every program that we have to offer. But there's this buzz that they're so self-sacrificing, they're so generous, they're so kind, that I think I see God in them. And that's what I want to be for the next 13 years. Imperfect people who are trying as hard as they can, as they proclaim God's love over all, to show God's love to many people. And so we invite you all to that journey. We invite you to make the same commitment as we stay in God's love to show that to as many people as possible, starting with our own families. With that, let me pray for you. We pray together. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your perfect love demonstrated in Jesus. Thank you for fighting for our forgiveness that we might have peace. We pray this church would always put your love above every other, for no other love can save. But empower us, Lord, in our homes, in our communities, to be people where others catch glimpses of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.